This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, there appears to be a considerable gap opening between the White House and Joe Biden and his administration and Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli Prime Minister, in terms of the war in Gaza. The Americans want a ceasefire and we're hoping that by Christmas that would happen. And this week, President Joe Biden deplored the killing of civilians and the way the Israelis were conducting the war at this point. However, Netanyahu responded by saying this would be a long war and it would be months rather than weeks before it comes to an end. That's just one of the differences that are appearing now between the White House and Israelis. And the US have sent their national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, to Israel to convey a message of some kind to the Israeli government. We're joined now from Washington by Niall Stanich. Niall is associate editor of the Hill newspaper and White House columnist for that paper. Niall, there are many things happening in Washington as we speak and very important things this week. For example, Zelensky, President Zelensky from Ukraine was in Washington, and of course, the Donald Trump drama continues there as well. But the gap between Biden's rhetoric now and what the Israelis are intent on doing appears wider and to some extent unbridgeable. Yeah, it is certainly a new development because, of course, as we have discussed in the early phases of this current conflict, conflict since October 7th. Biden was extremely supportive of Israel and has been so, um, in some ways to his own political detriment, at least in the Democratic Party, where some voters have clearly balked at the level of support he was giving. There has been a change in tone, I would say, within the past couple of weeks, but most recently in the remarks you're referring to, Yemen, when he uh, accused the Israelis, for example, of indiscriminate bombing. That was not a phrase that he had used previously, even though I think it is more than buttressed by the uh, available evidence. Yes. Um, the other point, of course, as you say, the 
difference, which is a significant difference, between the Biden administration's position, which is ultimately that there should be a two-state solution, and the current Israeli government's uh, position, which is to rule that out uh, very firmly and emphatically. Yes, and Joe Biden also suggested to Netanyahu that Israel was losing friends and allies by its conduct of this war. It hasn't lost the US, however, but this week there was a Security Council meeting in New York and the voting was heavily in favour of a ceasefire being sought. America was one of 10 countries, I think, that stuck by the Israelis and stuck by the idea of letting them continue. Even the UK abstained. America is finding itself now, isn't it, a little isolated in the world compared to where ideally it would be and, and historically it, where it has been. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, that United Nations General Assembly vote was a perfect example of that. As you say, the US among 10 nations that voted against, 153 nations voting in favour of that ceasefire and a number of abstentions, as you mentioned in the case of Britain, for example. But that shows, I think, the overwhelming international uh, desire for a ceasefire, which is something that Biden has not uh, called for in terms of an immediate ceasefire. That does isolate the United States. Now, we're in a political moment right now where the American population is probably not overly bothered about international opinion. International opinion does not impinge overly much on political discussions here. But clearly, the United States is in a small small minority. I mean, of the 10 that joined the US in voting against the ceasefire, one was Israel, uh, and there were a number of other very, very small island nations. So, you know, among uh, internationally significant nations that weren't the US or Israel, there were about two or three. uh, Paraguay, if I recall correctly, was one of them that voted against a ceasefire. So it does clearly show that the US position is out of step with the broad um, community of nations represented at the UN. Yes, um, we know, Niall, and it's a bit of a mystery to me, that throughout his political career, which stretches back 40 years, Biden has been an ardent supporter of Israel and indeed has been and has said recently that he was friendly with Bibi, as he calls Netanyahu, for 40 years. What explains, do you you think, his attachment? I know that, of course, Israel has always been supported by the US and funded, indeed, by the US. But Biden in particular seems to have this attachment to them. Is there any reason that we know of? I I think that is primarily a a generational thing, actually. There's a big difference between how older Democrats and younger Democrats seem to see the conflict. When I say the conflict, I don't just mean events since October 7th. I mean the broad struggle between Israel and the Palestinians. And this would be perhaps um, perplexing to our younger listeners. But there was certainly a time, particularly in the couple of decades immediately after Israel's foundation, when Israel was actually a cause of the left in American politics and to some extent in European politics, this, uh, you know, a a nation that was 
uh, founded in the in the desert against encircled by hostile powers uh, at the time Israeli politics themselves were much more left of center I mean the the whole idea of uh, the kibbutz for example yeah. is is an inherently left-wing idea of sort of communal living and um, it's hard to say exactly when that changed. I mean, certainly the events of the late 1960s that resulted in Israel occupying uh, the West Bank um, yes. and other areas clearly played a part. But I think for younger people on the left, Israel now is seen as a sort of dominant regional superpower backed by the United States repressing the Palestinians. That isn't typically the view of Democrats of Joe Biden's generation. Yes. Let me ask you about the funding for both Ukraine, where Zelensky was in Washington to seek U.S. help with money and, of course, with aircraft as well, or air defences. He got no joy. Congress stopping, blocking money for Ukraine and indeed for Israel at the moment. Biden's room for manoeuvre there at the moment appears to be nil. Yes, although I think we need to emphasize why that has been blocked, which is that Republicans are seeking to link that aid package yes. to the separate issue of uh, immigration, border security, uh, things of that nature. So to make a long story short, there's a, a whole issue of Republicans linking the topic of uh, the aid to Ukraine and the aid to Israel with the border security issue, the immigration issue. So here in the US, for example, encounters at the southwestern border are in and around their all-time highs, roughly a quarter of a million people each month right now, uh, being stopped or at least being approached by border agents uh, trying to get into the country, either by claiming asylum or just straight up illegally. That is naturally a big political issue. Republicans are saying they won't vote on aid to Israel or Ukraine until the Biden administration accedes to some of their requests for more stringent measures at the border. Now, Niall, President Biden has another issue pending, if we can say pending in this context. Congress this week voted yesterday, in fact, to begin the process of trying to impeach the president on the basis that he had received money from Hunter Biden, money that Biden, Hunter Biden had gained illegally. I know they've, these are early steps in the impeachment process. Nevertheless, that could threaten his presidency in an election year. It could. I mean, it is worth stressing, I think, a couple of things because the partisan divides tend to frame how the story is told. On one hand, Hunter Biden is very obviously shady in terms of his past business dealings, including at one point receiving a $1 million per year salary from a Ukrainian energy company uh, without any obvious expertise in that area. The other side of the equation is there has been no particularly persuasive or compelling evidence of Joe Biden uh, acting in a corrupt way or taking official action to help his son or anything like that. The Republicans have taken this vote, which formalizes an impeachment inquiry. That makes it easier for them to get access to documents or to other potential evidence. If 
there were some bombshell, that would be very serious for Joe Biden and would obviously imperil his re-election hopes. If such evidence is not found, then I think Republicans would face a lot of pressure about engaging in what would be seen and what already is seen by large numbers of people as a sort of uh, a partisan pursuit of Biden rather than focusing on any number of issues that seem more relevant to the reality of people's day-to-day lives. In terms of the presidential election this coming year, how much damage can the Hunter Biden case and all the matters associated with it, one of them involving an illegal weapon, the other, of course, being, well, fraud, and also using his father's name to make money. How damaging is that in a presidential year, presidential election year? It is obviously potentially damaging because there are worries about how Hunter Biden's conduct reflects upon his father. You mentioned some of the issues of alleged tax evasion, the thing about the weapon, but also just the fact that Hunter Biden, to put it in just direct layman's terms, appears to have been capitalizing on his father's name to be kind of on the take, really, not in terms of actual bribes, but in terms of being paid money that just on a basic common sense level, he would never have been paid if his last name wasn't Biden. So that is a problem. The other thing that I think it is important to mention there, Eamon, is it is pretty clearly being used by Republicans to try to neutralize the many challenges that uh, Mr. Trump faces on a legal front, which, of course, is four criminal cases, 91 criminal charges. It's not, I mean, Hunter Biden has never sought public office, and Donald Trump's a former president who's seeking that office again. But the Hunter Biden matter, I think, allows Republicans to say, well, the Biden family is shady or is corrupt or is whatever, making those kinds of allegations and hoping that in doing so, they at least take the edge off of the political liability suffered by Donald Trump because of his legal troubles. Yes, indeed. And his legal troubles were in the news again this week, Niall, when Jack Smith, who is the prosecutor in the January the 6th indictment, which we'll see if things were to go to time, it would see the former president in court on March the 4th charged with criminal behaviour on January 6th, a very serious obstruction of, of justice, I think, is the charge. That's a very, very serious matter and Jack Smith has been prosecuting and has just one charge. He's been he hasn't thrown the book at Trump, but the charge itself is very serious. And he is seeking from the Supreme Court, he made a move this week, which most people thought was a very smart move, to establish whether or not the Supreme Court believed that Donald Trump could be charged and could be found guilty in this matter. So he's cutting out the appeals process where Trump to be found guilty and engage in all the appellate courts on the way up to the Supreme Court. He wants that established at the beginning. It, is, it does seem a clever move. 
Yeah, I think it is and has generally been hailed as such by various legal experts. The big picture here, Eamon, putting it as simply as possible, is Trump is trying to buy time in all his legal troubles by putting them off as long as possible in the hope that he will will win next year's election. And some of them, including the Jack Smith one, he could then essentially instruct the Department of Justice to stop uh, prosecuting him. Now, part of the attempt or part of that tactic is uh, right now the effort to go through the appeals process on this question of whether a president is immune from prosecution even after he leaves office. Again, summarizing, the Trump's team's argument is things that were part of a president's official duties uh, are things for which he cannot be prosecuted even after leaving office. Jack Smith obviously says, no, that's not the case. And it would appear that Trump, uh, I mean, the reason he was trying to go into the uh, appeals court process is that the judge presiding over the case had ruled against him and said, no, being president isn't, as the judge put it, a get out of jail free card. Jack Smith doesn't want the whole appeals process to, to play out over perhaps many months. And so he has decided to go to the Supreme Court or to try to get the Supreme Court to intervene immediately, and that would then decide the issue of presidential immunity in Trump's case right away, one way or another. Yes, and delay, I mean, he is facing in total over four court cases, a total of 91 criminal charges. Delay, delay, delay is obviously in his interests in the hope that he will be the winner, and he does top the polls next November when he faces the Democratic opponent, who at this moment is is Joe Biden. If he were to win and become president again back in the White House, it is a fact, is it not, now, that he could then basically give himself a pardon and have Jack Smith sacked and and the charges dropped. It is in that case, in the Jack Smith case. And I think this is where it gets a little bit complicated because there is a distinction from what you've just said from the federal cases, which is the Jack Smith case, and state-level cases, the more serious of which being interference in Georgia. Yes. Because the Georgia case is conducted by state authorities, a president does not have the power to stop it, which is why some people think that poses quite a serious threat to Trump. Right. In any event, in Jack Smith's case, which is taken by the federal government, Donald Trump could be re-elected, take office again. He would then be in charge of the Justice Department, and he could simply say, stop that, and he could fire Jack Smith, as you say. It would cause, of course, a massive uproar. It would cause potentially a constitutional crisis. But um, Mr. Trump is not particularly averse to either uproars or to uh, constitutional crises and might well consider that a price worth paying. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com/acast code acast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Now, there is a process going on to determine who will be the Republican nominee for next year's presidential election. Trump is so heavily favored by the polls that he has declined to take part. However, there are runners, Ron DeSantis being one of them, Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina, and also represented the United States as ambassador to the United Nations during Donald Trump's first term in office. They have continued this week, I think, to they've continued to continue as it were. Although the Donald has said that they're making fools of themselves, Chris Christie is the other contender. He won't enter that race. There isn't any possibility, is there, that for example, he could be forced into the final debate because one of the others was gaining some traction. It, it is possible if they gain traction that he would be forced to debate. He does, just to be clear, have to go through the process of the primaries and caucuses because that's how you become the nominee. But he has declined to participate in any of the four official debates so far, and his reasoning in that respect is. He's very far ahead of the field. He wants to present himself as the inevitable nominee of the party, and although he doesn't state this, clearly he doesn't want to give those people who are chasing him the chance to land a punch on him in a debate. That tactic has worked quite well for him so far, in the sense that his non-participation in the debates has not dented his lead. any uh, at all there is to be a debate shortly before the Iowa caucuses uh, the Iowa caucuses are scheduled for mid January um he has not indicated that he's going to change his stance any on the debates and he leads the polls in Iowa by a significant margin not quite as large as his national lead but but a very healthy lead It's possible that that changes. Uh, obviously, a lot of the other candidates, particularly DeSantis and Haley, are you know peppering him with TV ads and all of that. But his hold on the Republican electorate is very, very firm, and of course, that grip has not been loosened by any of the many controversies that he has been involved in. So it's hard to see how that changes. It's hard to see what line of attack his rivals could use that would somehow 
uh, hurt him in any serious way. And so long as that's the case, I wouldn't expect him to participate in any debates. Yes, and one one looks at the House of Representatives now and the new Speaker, Mike Johnson, and the decisions they're making. It looks like now, um, if we think about it, it's 2015 when Donald Trump first appeared seeking the presidency. 2016, he became president. That in those eight years or so, although everyone mocks him or many serious people mock him, he has become a figure of fun. He's also become a figure of menace, despite everything. Does it appear to you and to the American people that he has changed the Republican Party more or less forever? In the, the Republican Party was never, on the whole, for headbangers and wild far-right people. But its actions now, including the decision to dump Mike Heaven, it looks as if the Republican Party hasn't had a moment and Donald Trump wasn't a passing fad. It looks like he's actually changed that party and allowed into it some crazies. I think he clearly has changed the party in a very significant way. It's interesting that even now, people still talk, and I'm sure perhaps we've used this phrase at times, about the Republican establishment, meaning yes. people like, say, Mitch McConnell, or to some extent, Kevin McCarthy, even though McCarthy was more friendly with Trump. The Republican establishment, as represented by, say, Mitch McConnell or Mitt Romney, um, that, has, that establishment has been beaten by all uh, measures by the Donald Trump wing. It has become a much more... Trumpian party. One of the lower profile examples of that that I think is um, underrated in terms of how telling it was, was that back in the 2020 election, there are party conventions in every election year here at which they decide upon a party platform, like a manifesto. And the Republican Party decided that it was not going to do a platform in 2020. And the widespread assumption or supposition was the reason they didn't want to do so was because Donald Trump can change on a very whimsical level what he stands for. Um, you know, yes. North Korea being a prime example where he went yes. from little rocket man to love letters in short order. Yes. And the Republican Party did not, in fact, want to tie itself to a written fixed manifesto, knowing that Trump would be their nominee and he could change his mind at any moment. So that was just, I thought, a very emblematic moment uh, of showing the tendency to which the GOP has become the party that backs pretty much whatever Donald Trump wants it to back. And there isn't much uh, sign of that changing or of that uh, altering anytime soon. And how potent now is his force and his candidacy for the presidential election if Biden is still there come next November because Biden did say this week, didn't he now, that he would be running and it was mainly because Donald Trump was the opponent, mm. the alternative for the presidency, therefore sending a clear signal almost, Biden, maybe not a wise one, that he's only running to stop Trump. Yeah, that's right. That was not a particularly wise remark because, of course, it, it fed into the whole concern about Biden's age and it carries the implication that if the likely opponent were not Trump, that Biden would be happy enough to retire. 
Yeah. Which presumably is not the impression you wish to foster if you're already the oldest president in American history and someone who opinion polls show the public has enormous concerns about um, their age. So that's a problem. Um, but clearly, to answer your question about the uh, position or the potency of Trump's candidacy, he is the overwhelming favorite to become the Republican nominee. It would need quite a political earthquake to deny him that role. And if he is matched against Joe Biden in a general election, right now you would have to say Trump's a slight favorite. It would be a you know a close election, but he would at the very minimum have a 50-50 chance of becoming president once again. Yeah, and uh, that would be a moment now, wouldn't it? It certainly would. That would be a, that would say a lot of fundamental things about where the United States stands uh, as a nation, where it stands in relation to things that are, you know, rightly perceived to be bedrocks of democracy, such as accepting the legitimacy of elections, accepting the independence of the judiciary, yes. uh, and a number of other matters like that. And it would send a powerful signal to the democracies that remain, and a powerful signal to Beijing and to Moscow, and indeed to North Korea, and a welcome one. Certainly. I mean, I think that adversaries of the United States like American dysfunction and have sought to foment that dysfunction in various ways in recent years. And the mere polarized nature of American politics in and of itself would be something that uh, those nations would welcome. Thank you very much, Niall. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. It's sometimes very sobering, <laughs> especially when we project our minds forward, God sparing us, to the first week in November next year when we can discuss the beginning of the Trump presidency for Mark II. But for today, Niall, we're very grateful to you for joining us. That's Niall Stanage, a brilliant journalist and associate editor of a very good newspaper, The Hill. We're grateful to Niall, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.